0: With, with all the extra burdens that come on farmers uh, that take away from their bottom, bottom line, this is something that's an absolute necessity to operating a business and to operating a farm, whether it's heating a livestock barn or drying your grain.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 20 of Fireside Chats with Aaron. I'm your host Aaron Gowerluck. As Executive Director of the Grain Growers of Canada, I started this podcast to serve as a forum for real conversations with industry influencers and policymakers. During our conversation today, we will unpack the Conservative Climate Plan and its potential impact on Canada's agriculture sector and talk about how Conservative support for Bill C-216 squares with the party's track record on trade. But first, let's get to know our guest. Prior to being elected in 2015 as the Member of Parliament for Lambton, Kent, Middlesex, Leanne Rood was an entrepreneur, farmer, and a political staffer in the Stephen Harper government. She grew up on a vegetable farm in Grand Bend, Ontario, and remains actively involved in the potato business with her brother. Prior to serving as an MP, Leanne worked for Bev Shipley and was a special assistant to the Minister of Agriculture, Jerry Ritz. She helped develop and pass the Marketing Freedom for Grain Farmers Act, Bill C-218. She also served as assistant to David Anderson in his capacity as Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Natural Resources and as Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Agriculture. In December of 2019, Leanne was named Deputy Shadow Minister for Agriculture and Agri-Food and has been busy meeting with stakeholders from across Canada since. In September 2020, Leanne was appointed as Shadow Minister for Agriculture and Agri-Food in Erin O'Toole's Shadow Cabinet. Leanne, thank you for stopping by for a fireside chat.
0: Thank you for having me today, Erin.
1: I hope you don't mind, I'm calling you Leanne.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's great.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'd like to start our conversation by by getting you to speak to your your agricultural roots, if you will. I, I read your bio and it indicated that you grew up on a farm and that you're still to this day engaged in the potato business. Tell me a bit about your connection to the sector.
0: Thank you, Erin. Well, uh, I'm a third generation farmer, actually. And my grandparents on both sides of my family were immigrants to Canada. And I would call them essentially pioneers in the Grand Bend area in agriculture, uh, in vegetable production. My dad's family came from Holland and they were one of the first six settlers on what's called the Klondike Marsh, just outside of Grand Bend. And my grandparents on my mom's side came from Poland and they decided to settle in the Grand Bend area and they cleared their very first farm and made it into farmland and they've been were uh, very engaged in the vegetable production business and my family had done it for now three generations and we settled on potatoes at the end but we've done everything from carrots lettuce onions onion sets and potatoes and my brother and I still continue to work in the mini potatoes in a niche market we grow fingerling potatoes and that's where we're at right now
1: those are my favorite potatoes by the way
0: absolutely delicious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were in the agriculture minister's office at a very exciting time um, in history for Canadian grain farmers, the elimination of a single desk. Tell me what it was like to serve a special assistant to the agriculture minister at the time, who was Jerry Ritz, when the Marketing Freedom for Grain Farmers Act was passed.
0: Wow, it was such a pivotal moment in Canadian history, and I can honestly say that I was so honoured and humbled to be able to represent Western Canadian grain farmers and be a voice for them for the two and a half years that I was with Agriculture Minister Jerry Ritz. And I did work alongside David Anderson as Parliamentary Secretary, and really David Anderson was such a huge champion to get rid of the single desk. And, um, you know, it was incredible to see farmers have the same freedoms now that all of our other Farming colleagues across the country had in being able to sell to whoever they want and have their own business plan and do their own marketing. And I mean, it, it's been incredible to see what has happened in the industry since that act passed and Farmers Got Freedom, and just seeing all of the niche markets open up and all the microbreweries and all the things we didn't see for so many years. And I know, uh, you yeah, know, I'm incredibly proud of what our conservative government did. And, and I'm just so grateful to have had that opportunity. Opportunity to represent farmers and be that voice and steer that through through parliament. It was an incredible experience. I don't know, even as an elected official, uh, what, what's going to top that for me, because I was so incredibly proud to be a part of that team that, that got that done and and I'm so proud of, of the farming um, industry now and the grains and oil seeds industry to see where they've got where they've come from and where they've come to now and where we are headed uh, as we go forward.
1: And how far you've come. Now, as Member of Parliament, you rose in the House a couple of weeks ago, uh, calling on the Federal Agriculture Minister to release the results of the Canadian Grain Act review consultation, which ended on April 30th. In those remarks, you referenced a letter which you sent to Minister Bibeau uh, in mid-May. What have you heard in your response to the letter? And maybe I should, I should add to that, you know, in the event of, of a fall election, can we expect to see changes to the Canada Grain Act included in the Conservative Party platform?
0: Well, you're, you're right. I did rise in the House and I did ask the minister when we can expect to see a response. And so far, I have not received a response from the minister. I also had uh, the opportunity to question officials at the Agriculture Committee a couple weeks ago, and they also had no real response. So I'm really interested, as you are, to see what the final report is going to be uh, and, and see when we can get a timeline. And as far as the party's election platform... You know, I, I, we haven't released that yet, but what I can say is that conservatives truly do believe that agriculture is the backbone of Canada. And you've, you've seen that in our approach on agriculture, it begins there, it ends there. And really um, we're going to make sure that we continue to um, approach agriculture as such. And I'm not really at liberty to say what else is going on with the platform, but as soon as I find out, you'll be the first to know.
1: Fair enough. We'll have you back. Um, I think it's it's an important piece, as you know, it's a priority for the sector, one where we've made several attempts in the past, 2007, 2009, more recently in 2014. So I think uh, we were hopeful that this would be the one that would get us across the finish line and we would see some legislative changes as a result. So the hope is that if we are facing a, a federal election this fall, that it will appear in party platforms as a commitment to revisit this work post-election. In April of this year, Conservative leader Erin O'Toole released a new climate plan called Securing the Environment, which includes a price on carbon. The plan introduces a $20 per ton carbon tax on fuels, increasing gradually to $50 per ton. So this plan in many respects mirrors the Liberals' approach, but at a lower rate. We have a bill, as you know, before the House, Right now, it's Conservative MP Philip Lawrence's private members' bill C206, which seeks to exempt natural gas and propane used for drying grain. Many of our farmer members have questions about the impact that the Conservatives' proposed climate plan is going to have on agriculture. For example, can they expect that the proposed tax will be applied to Canadian farms? Or does C206 suggest that conservatives may be prepared to exempt the natural gas and propane that's used for production on Canadian farms?
0: Well, thank you for that question, Erin. And you're right, Bill C206 is a private member's bill that was put forward by my colleague, conservative colleague Phil Lawrence, Philip Lawrence. And And we've seen the bill come through committee. And I've just been informed that the second hour of third reading debate is going to be happening on Monday. So we're hoping that the bill is going to be reported um, and finished through the House of Commons by the time we're finished sitting for the the session before the summer recess. And hopefully it will go on to the Senate uh, before the recess next week. So, uh, of course, it's an important piece of, of legislation because we've heard from farmers across the country that the new carbon tax on grain drying is such an impediment to um to the bottom line of of farmers and we we did study the bill at committee where we heard from folks across the country and across sectors that this is one place that we can exempt the natural gas and and propane for on-farm use just like diesel fuel is exempted for farms and with with all the extra burdens that come on farmers uh that take away from their bottom bottom line. This is something that's an absolute necessity to operating a business and to operating a farm, whether it's heating a livestock barn or drying your grain, it's, you know, our profit margins are so low. We recognize that. And so that's why we are behind this bill. And I think if I'm not mistaken, that the liberals included a line in their budget this year, which, you know, is the greatest form of flattery from, uh, from somebody is to, is to copy what they've done uh, so we will we will see what happens with with the bill going forward and we hope to see it pass through the senate uh here before the uh end of the session uh but going forward you know we're we'll see what ends up what ends up in our in our platform again i i we haven't released that yet but i'm sure there's going to be good things in there that everybody's going to be look, looking forward to
1: Thank you. So maybe a couple of questions there. Yes, there was broad support for for C206. Every party, with the exception of the Liberals, supported supported this bill, and we hope that that momentum will continue. What impact, Leanne, would a federal election have on this bill, even if it passes through the House? Great news to hear that we're going to go to second hour of debate at third reading on Monday. What impact could a fall election have on this private members bill?
0: Well, if... if- parliament uh does not resume or if if the senate doesn't pass it before the the senate rises for their summer recess then of course if we go to a fall election this bill will die on the order paper and it would have to be resurrected when a new parliament is sitting so we're we're hoping that this might be something that we can get through right now and if not we'll have to wait and see and hope you know for for some people's sakes they want an election sooner than later and we don't know when that's going to come so we'll have to wait and see what happens this summer and what the prime minister decides to do
1: and in terms of the conservative plan the securing the environment plan are we safe then to expect that further details with respect to its application to canada's agriculture sector would be reflected in the party's platform at what point can we expect to see more details there in terms of its impact on the agriculture sector
0: Okay, Erin, you're absolutely right. We do have an environmental plan and we do talk about agriculture and um, the environmental plan that our leader, Erin O'Toole released is a good starting point. And we can look at that as a starting point on what you can expect to to see from conservatives on on climate. And there's in fact, a study underway right now at the agriculture committee, where we are looking at the environmental contributions of agriculture and, and, and farming practices. And, you know, we're working hard to press the government to take account of farm practices that uh, mitigate emissions and store CO2 in the soil and we're also pressing the government to give credit not only for early adoption but to take account of the CO2 that's stored in the soil year over year and in our conservative climate um, program or platform we we talk about um, practices that That farmers have been doing for decades the low-till no-till practices for our nutrient stewardship um you know and again giving carbon credits for that's associated with um good land use management practices and we also though want to make sure going forward that we identify uh Support in the sector and ways in which the sector can contribute to enhancing carbon sequestration because that's really important as well. So we're unfortunately not going to get to finish the study at Agriculture Committee before the House rises for the summer recess, but we have heard some some good things going forward and we hope to bring uh, some of that testimony into the report that we, we would do at the end uh, because it's important that farmers are recognized for all of the good work that they've been doing from the inception of farming to help with good management, land management practices for, for our environment.
1: I'm happy to hear you say that because that was one of the questions that we got from our members in preparation for our conversation today was, can you ask what, to what extent we can expect that the Conservative plan is going to recognize the contributions that Canadian farmers have already made through the voluntary adoption of many of these beneficial management practices? So happy to hear that that study is currently underway and that recognition uh, will be given. On the same vein, you know, increasingly the current government is placing more priority on enacting environmental policy that impacts Canada's agriculture sector. And while doing so, making announcements about programs that may be disconnected from the on the ground realities and needs of our farmers. Increasing carbon pricing is one example, and there are more. Would or no tool government adopt what the Agriculture Carbon Alliance is requesting of the current government, which is to convene a working group that brings producer stakeholders together with officials at Environment and Climate Change Canada and Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and other relevant departments to ensure that environmental policies and programs affecting Canadian producers are shaped and communicated in a constructive and beneficial way?
0: Well, Erin, thanks for that question. But again, this is kind of pertains to a platform which we have not released yet ahead of the election, so I'm not at liberty to say. But I think that that kind of goes back to the previous question where we're talking about the study that we're doing at the Agriculture Committee, and we are we worked really hard to bring in witnesses who do recognize all of the good things that that agriculture and farming does uh, for the environment and. In our caucus, in particular, in the conservative caucus, several MPs are farmers and are are, um, engaged in farming even right now. And some come from farming backgrounds and other there's lots of other conservative MPs who actually represent rural agriculture districts. So we are plugged in with the agriculture community, with farmers. We are constantly consulting with people on the ground. And that's something that we will continue to do right up until our platform is released. And I know I have committed to doing that already. I've made a couple trips out to Alberta when it was safe to do so last fall. And I'm looking forward to getting boots on the ground again into the Western provinces as soon as uh, public health measures allow this year, because I find it so important to consult with people who are on the ground it's not always just um, the advocacy groups or the people that I talk to here in Ottawa for me it's what's happening on the ground at the farm level and it's important for me to hear from from folks at that level because it's sometimes not the same as what we hear in Ottawa and that's that's the kind of feedback that I commit to getting and taking back to the party and we will hope to see um, your feedback reflected in our policy platform.
1: Excellent, Thank you. I want to talk for a moment about a private member's bill that was introduced by Bloc Quebecois MP uh, Louis Plamondon, which would essentially make it illegal to include the supply managed sector in future trade negotiations. This bill spent about two weeks with the International Trade Committee where members heard from stakeholders on both sides of the debate. Now it's back in the House after being passed by committee with a split vote. The export-oriented agriculture sector via CAFTA, the Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance, uh, GGC is a member of that group, come out in opposition to this bill, citing potential damage to Canadian exports if passed. And last Friday, we had some chief negotiators who appeared before the committee, and they expressed their concern for this bill, indicating that it is quite probable that this bill, if passed, would have a negative impact on Canada's export sectors. Now, the previous Conservative government signed a record number of free trade agreements, and we've generally seen the Conservatives as being strong advocates for free and fair trade. So one would expect that Conservative MPs would have opposed this bill. And yet 37 Conservative MPs, yourself included, voted in favour. So maybe help me understand how support for this bill squares with the Conservative position on
0: trade. Thank you for that question, Erin. And I know that there's a lot of concern out there from folks across the country. And I'd like to point out, first of all, that 80 conservative MPs voted against the bill, including the leader. And there are other MPs, conservative MPs who share the concerns that you noted. And I just want to set the record straight that we voted only to, as a procedural vote at second reading to send it to committee. And why did we send it, want to send it to committee? Because Obviously the other opposition parties voted for this bill as well, but I felt that it's only fair to hear from the trade negotiators themselves and hear from experts in the field, how something like this bill would impede future trade negotiations. And um, I had hoped that it would be amended at committee uh, after hearing the testimony, as you pointed out, there was great testimony last Friday at the trade committee and um you know, we, we wanted to study this, this bill And I haven't seen any amendments come back. So I think that you will find that many MPs who voted in this procedural vote to send it to committee are not going to vote the same way when it comes back to the House. Because you're absolutely right. We believe in free trade as a party. We believe that our hand should not be tied going into future trade negotiations. And and even in recent times, there's been, I think it's 16 trade deals that have been signed uh, recently without having this particular bill. And, And just to be clear about this this private members bill, this was something that the Bloc Québécois put forward and it intended to actually wedge liberals and conservatives um, among rural Quebec voters. So this is the block plane politics. And uh, again, I think you'll see when this bill comes back to the House for another vote, you will see other MPs vote uh, differently than what they did to send it to committee. And that's the votes that actually matter. The vote on a procedural vote going whether or not to send a bill to committee is not the final vote on a bill.
1: Thanks very much for for shedding light on that. We'll be keeping tabs on this one and see what, if any, implications a fall election may have on its its progress. Speaking of fall elections, we, we haven't been able to avoid that topic throughout this conversation, but I think increasingly now we're of the view that there's likely to be one this fall. I know you don't know anything more than I know on this topic. So we can't speculate on timing, but one thing that I perhaps would like to know is what is your role as shadow minister in terms of the development of the Conservative Party platform and serving as an advocate for the sector's priority as priorities as that platform is being developed. And then with that, I might ask, based on some of the interactions that you've had with sector stakeholders, what might you like to see reflected in the party's platform when it comes to agriculture?
0: Well, you know, you're right. We don't know when an election is coming. And uh, since I've been in the role as Shadow Minister of Agriculture, I think I alluded to this earlier, I've really made it a point to get boots on the ground across the country wherever I can to talk to folks uh, across the spectrum of agriculture. Coming from the produce industry, I have a lot of knowledge in fruit and vegetable. And I'll be the first to admit, I've got a lot to learn in other sectors. And I've been grateful to have that opportunity, as we talked about earlier, to to have worked with grains and oilseeds farmers when we were developing the Freedom for Grain Farmers Act and a little unknown fact that I might throw in there is I actually lived in Saskatchewan for four years and so I, I'm not just a Southern Ontario girl, I am a, a honorary prairie girl and I also spent five years in British Columbia in the Lower Mainland and so I have been able through my life and through my career to see all Kinds of agriculture across the country, and to to see how people live in different provinces across this country, which I think is um, a benefit for me in this position, uh, because I, I I kind of know where people come from a little bit more than the average person, and so as far as priorities, uh, you know, I understand the way different governments work in different provinces, the the way that um, we have to deal with climate, with weather, and so when I get boots on the ground and talk to farmers, that's where I'm getting my feedback in my role as shadow minister so that I can take that feedback back to the leader, back to the party and, and take suggestions for on un- how, for how we can change agriculture policy going forward, and 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 for me, I like to think outside the box a little. Um, having lived in different places, it, that experience actually gives me the ability to think outside the box, and I'm not just thinking of my home province or my home riding uh, or my home farming experience. I'm thinking across this country, so I, I can't. I can't really say what is going to be in the platform. I can only say that I am doing, I wouldn't be doing my job as shadow minister for agriculture. If I wasn't listening and speaking to folks across and stakeholders from across all sectors across the country. So, um, I, I, I've heard from many farmers the biggest thing right now is reforming BRM programs. We know it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. We know that there needs to be some more autonomy in how some of these programs work, province to province, commodity to commodity. So that's probably the biggest, um, the biggest ask I hear from stakeholders across the country. So I've heard you. We're we're working on uh, developing some of our own thoughts processes going forward. And I realize that the government is currently doing consultations for the next suite of BRM programs with the provinces. And it really is up to the provinces to decide what's going to be best for them. So, you know, going forward, we'll we'll have thoughts and I'll continue to get that feedback from folks across the country as we move forward.
1: Right, And I know our members welcome any opportunity to engage with you personally when it's safe to do so again and your travels can take you to other parts of the country. And I appreciate the opportunity. Grain Growers has had an opportunity to share our election priorities with you. And you're right, BRM was at the top of the list, wasn't it? (sighs)
0: It was. And, you know, one thing I will point out, too, is when we we were talking about the Wheat Board earlier, and that was a generational policy change that we saw um, with the dismantling of the single desk of the Canadian Wheat Board. And it had many, many, many rounds of consultations with farmers over many, 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 many years. So, we have a record as conservatives of of speaking with stakeholders, getting boots on the ground, talking with farmers to see what you need. And I will continue to be that voice and that advocate for farmers across the country as we go forward. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to see a, a multitude of you across the country as we begin to open up here and when it's safe to do so.
1: Well, if your schedule allows, Leanne, I'd love to have you back once we do have a an election platform document we can we can dig into and talk more about. But with that, I really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It was my pleasure to be here.
1: And thank you everyone for listening to the 20th episode of Fireside Chats with Aaron. I'm stepping away from the fireside for the summer to make way for my colleague, Brandon Leslie, GGC's Manager of Government Relations and Policy, who will be serving up some refreshing local craft beer and interesting conversations with some of his industry colleagues. Please tune into Beers with Brandon. The first episode will be released in early July. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date on all things GGC, please follow us on Twitter at Grain Growers or on Instagram at Canada's Grain Growers. See you in September.